everyone, and welcome back to Changing Reels, the podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity in cinema, one reel at a time. I'm Andrew Hathaway. And I'm Courtney Small. And if you like what you hear on Changing Reels, please consider donating to my Patreon page for Can't Stop the Movies, as I do the editing and production work for this show. And if you enjoy the Modern Superior Network, which features our podcast, there are similar donation options for them. Now, with each episode of Changing Reels, we like to talk about three different films, all potentially related, sometimes not, two short films picked by Courtney and myself, then a feature film. We're going to be wrapping up a month focused on hip-hop movies. We last time talked about my pick, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. This time, we're going to be talking about F. Gary Gray's Straight Outta Compton. Time for some of that traditional podcast chatter before we get started. Courtney, how you hanging? Not too bad. I've been kind of tired just because life has been busy, but I did have a rare double feature day at the movies this past weekend, so that was a nice break from things. With kids, you know, you usually get up for maybe <laughs> one movie, you know, every couple of weeks, but to actually do a leisurely two back-to-back and get yourself lunch in between was, was a nice break from the norm. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, as far as children are concerned, the only annoyance I have are with cats, who uh, my orange cat has decided that my nightstand table is a great thing to lay on and knock things off of. Not very exciting as far as cinema is concerned, so I'm happy to hear that you at least are able to partake a bit more than usual. What two films did you end up uh, going back-to-back with? I ended up seeing Lady Bird and Phantom Thread. It was kind of like the, originally it was the Oscar catch-up day, because it was the only two of the Best Picture nominees that I hadn't seen um, prior to the nominations, and then it turned out to like be, I call it the All About My Mother day, because <laughs> mothers play an important role in, in both of those films, but in various different ways. Interesting. I haven't seen Phantom Thread yet. I loved Lady Bird. Uh, so I guess what are your synopsis thoughts on the two? Really enjoyed Lady Bird and absolutely loved Phantom Thread. But I will preface this by saying that I'm a big P.T. Anderson fan, so you know my views on his abilities as a filmmaker might be slightly skewed. They were both well done. I don't think there, there's any harm in that, especially with P.T.A., because the dude... It seems like he's gotten to this extreme point of sophistication where he has the freedom to do basically whatever he wants. But what he wants is a lot more reserved than I would expect. Like it's like he's not doing traditional popcorn pleasers or something with maybe, you know, a wide swath of appeal like Spielberg. You know, Spielberg does what he does. He does what he wants to do, but it's still kind of in that vein. And Tarantino, same as well. He does what he wants to do, but it's still entertaining in a far separate way. But PTA, he just goes out and does whatever. So I'm very curious about Phantom Thread when I get around to it. I I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of Daniel Day-Lewis, but I still love PTA even if I'm cold on his films. I was kind of like you on Daniel Day-Lewis. Normally I'm like, oh, he's a great actor, but he's not one that I 
I really love. And then I start thinking about the roles that he's been in and even something like Gangs of New York, which I absolutely hated. He was phenomenal in. I was like, no, he's I'm kind of sad now that if this is truly his last film, that we won't see him pop up every couple of years and just give a really killer performance. Well, Soderbergh's retirement ended up being a gigantic <laughs> joke. And Did you honestly believe he was going to retire, though? Because when I read that, I was like, that's not going to happen. Uh, I think even Miyazaki's coming out of retirement. Like, it's, yes. you know. Well, I'm, I'm not so sure we should take uh, any retirement talk seriously until they are dead. And even then, I wouldn't 100% discount the inclusion of spirit mediums as a way of perhaps working through people. I don't personally believe in them, but at the same time, I don't want to completely discount it because who knows? Maybe Orson Welles will end up haunting some child who is way too attached with a old camera. <laughs> but, but yeah, retirement chat is kind of silly. Even Ryan Gosling, he was talking about how he wanted to just settle down and have kids at some point away from the acting scene and well if you call starring in Blade Runner 2049 retirement which depending on how you feel about Gosling he may have been kind of slumming it there I, I liked him but I understand how that goes and actually before we get started I, I do want to talk about one other thing since you were kind of doing an Oscar catch up I'm actually really pleased with the nominations overall this year I was just starting going through them in my mind I was like yeah I was pleased with them as well i would say i wish they had done 10 instead of nine because there's one for sure that i would not include in that top nine whatsoever but i understand why it's there but there's a couple of other films that could have easily just fit in that 10 spot even if it's just to help them get bigger attention yeah uh, from the masses but you know i guess it is what it is there wasn't too much to complain about yeah it's a significant improvement and at the risk of setting off landmines what's the one that you didn't want in there darkest hour oldman is good and it's fine, but it's if you're a big Joe Wright fan, then sure, go for it. But I mean, Omen is great, but it's one of those films that is the type of historical biopic that you expect to get an Oscar nomination. Just based on the subject ah. matter, you're like, that's going to be nominated. And he's, not again, not to take anything away from the performances, Omen is great, but I just thought it was... It was just okay. Like, I, I didn't feel that I really learned that much about Churchill and especially his interaction with his family, which they touch on. And I thought there's a wealth of fascinating stuff that you could dive into, but they didn't. So Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm hesitant about it, and your reservations don't bode well. I plan on trying to watch it this week. I uh, would say see it. I would say see it. It's not awful. I just don't think it. His performance does not carry some of the weaker aspects of the film. I'm glad that even in your hesitation, you have optimism for my viewing experience. My own optimism is somewhat subdued by the fact that a lot of what you just said uh, makes me think of perennial changing reels, whipping boy, the theory of everything. <laughs> so we'll <It's>, see. <laughs> so I'll say, because that is truly become our, our whipping boy, and that, that's a standard for many things. So I'll go, well, technically it's better than a theory of everything. And I would say that this one is... <laughs> better than a theory of everything <laughs> oh boy that's uh i'm not even gonna joke that's just a low bar to clear well it's, it's interesting because, <laughs> and i mean no i did select a biopic for our feature film today but there's certain biopics that have been nominated in in recent years that i went okay it's fine but there wasn't anything that made me want to rush out and see it again or it made me stop and think yeah about it and i know a lot of people are split on i Tanya. i personally love that film 
there's a lot of interesting things that go on there. Whether or not you think it's successful, there was still a lot for me to think about afterwards, opposed to something like The Darkest Hour. I was like, oh, all right, it's kind of what I expected it would be, and there you go. So You know, I don't want to get too sidetracked on Oscar talk, but I, I do think that what you bring up with I, Tanya is a very valid point, because I didn't hate it, but I definitely didn't like it at all. Okay. I thought it was punching down really badly on poor Americans, and, and that may be something where, like, living here and especially being from the south georgia born if we got any state listeners chiming in that a lot of it just rubbed me the wrong way but it really commits to its aesthetic and margot robbie is freaking amazing in it so there's like enough in there that when we talk about like the bog standard biopics if someone were to say yeah i freaking love that like oh say a podcast partner i'd be like yeah i I totally see that and it is an aberration with all of these totally safe by the numbers here are the events pictures that we see usually in the nomination cycle every year. I did talk to someone at TIFF this year about the film, and he was very much, I guess, in your camp. He thought it was too mean-spirited and praising the stuff that shouldn't be praised. It was a very interesting conversation. We were both on opposite sides, but I so I can easily see how someone could look and see it as being mean-spirited. I thought it walks a very fine line, but I thought it did so in a way that I was willing to go with. And take our disagreement, polite and laying out points as a lesson internet. At the same time, I, I guess if you came on one show and were like, the Human Centipede Trilogy is the best then we'd have words <laughs> i've only seen the first one so i i shall refrain my comments for that stop uh, there series. <laughs> Just stop there no other films exist the, the first one i'm willing to defend to a point the the rest of them no so uh with the mouth to anus images of the human centipede firmly in my brain we're gonna start with what we're actually here for to discuss two short films and then a feature film so courtney your picks up on deck first what you got my picked a short film called melville and i think it's from 2015 and it was directed by james m johnston it stars rodney lucas i guess also better known as f dot stokes for those who know his rap persona in the film rodney and he plays a man who at the very beginning has just received some bad medical news and the entire film is watching him silently deal with this issue in terms of like he's got a wife who's pregnant and he goes to his mom and his mom's a big smoker and he's just obsessed with this illness and doesn't know how to deal with it and how it to our theme of hip-hop is that he used to be part of a rap group back in the day and then he retired as we were talking about earlier about people retiring in this case (laughs) there's that moment where you start to wonder whether or not that was the right choice for him but anyway he uses hip-hop to get up on stage on an open mic night and let loose everything that he's feeling it's a rather straightforward story but it was done in a really touching way and this is one that i come back to every few months being someone who's had cancer um impact a lot of my family members it's just a nice way to think about it and almost say yes you know give a big fu to cancer but it's done in a poetic way and i also really like the color palette 
that Johnston uses. Like it's very difficult to capture black skin properly on film. I find like a lot of cinematographers can't do it, but the color palette in here I thought was also quite well. So it was just a film that was on my mind, and I was tempted to do a straight video, and then I thought, well, let me see if I can find a film that incorporates hip hop where it's not necessarily the central thing, similar to like how you did with Ghost Dog last week. Right. And to your points on Melville, this is a short that leans heavily into where it all ends up. There was a lot of that drifting, kind of aimless camera style that I I see a lot when people are sick in cinema. And one of the things that I do like about this until we get to the end, which kicks it up to an amazing level, is how it really just lets us linger with Marcus as he's processing everything and trying to figure out how best to explain it to anybody or even if he's going to explain it to anybody. And there's this nice sense of touch throughout it with uh, Marcus and his food at the beginning uh, when he's at home. There's a really amazing little joke (laughs) when Marcus sees a man smoking with his daughter in the back and he just gets in the car. And it's one of those buildups that makes you think, okay, we're going to have this weird breakthrough moment. And then there's this quick cut to Marcus nursing his bruised face with (laughs) a bunch of frozen pieces. It's a nice little bit of humor. It deflates that whole idea that we can have some kind of grand enlightening conversation about cancer. And that mood and tone really carried me through, even though I was feeling kind of like a little, okay, I've seen this. Where's it going to? And when you were talking about the way it lights his skin, um, the director of this one, James M. Johnston, the way Johnston and his crew light Marcus at the end. It's like a moment for him to embrace his blackness in a different way than he has in his interactions at the coffee shop or with his family. We get the sense that he is just a nice reserved person in general. And then he just starts rapping. And first of all, I love the style. There is a group that I am obsessed with the Quantum Projects, which is this hip-hop collective from the early 90s. DJ Shadow was my entry point, but I love Black Alicious, I love Latirix, um, I love Latif the Truth Speaker, I love a lot of the, those folks in there. So it, it's this playful rhythm style that is bouncing against his pain. One of the things that interests me about sometimes hip-hop infighting is a style of like emo rap. Sage Francis, who's one of my absolute favorite artists ever, I've seen him six times, he gets accused of that a lot. And that end when he's rapping and he's explaining what he's going through, it reminds me of how we want to keep disease at a distance and then we also want to embrace art and music you know hip-hop in this case that isn't about wallowing in that you know there's there's a touch of braggadocio obviously there's going to be a lot of that in pretty much every other song we're talking about when we talk about our other two shorts today but when it's something that direct and it's just laying out the experience bare it really gets to that idea about rap as a, a percussive instrument to make his fears reverberate throughout the club and one of the things that i really love is that that there's no giant applause at the end there's no slow clap nothing like that it it basically is the cinematic equivalent of a mic drop it just cuts to credit 
minutes and then we go from there and you're left to make do with what's left. It had a slow build, but it ended up being really affecting in the long run because of that collision at the end between so many different thoughts on hip-hop and stage presence and lighting and so on. So this ended up really hitting me as well. And it's also an interesting build-up because as much as you have the aspect of him struggling with this disease and him finally coming out and just laying his soul bear, which is something that people forget music, and especially rap music, has the ability to allow people to do. Like Because rap has become so popular and so mainstream now, people tend to get the wrong image of what it can achieve. Like I know, um, was it Post Malone recently got uh, in some hot water because he was quoted or misquoted, depending on if you take his side of the story, of saying that how if he wants to cry or feel emotion, he won't listen to rap music. He'll listen to something like Bob Dylan. And that caused a huge storm on the internet because, you know, Post Malone's made millions making rap music. And of course, he backtracked saying, well, he was drunk and what he was talking about was the rap music, of course, can bring emotion, but also sometimes he tried to put a nice little spin on it. But there's a lot of people who I think under influence alcohol or not just assume rap is just nothing but like party music or as we're going to talk about later thug music gangster music right and it's like there's many facets to it and like you know you can evoke a lot of deep emotion with some really well-placed playful words and i also liked that it touched on or at least with this story you have a man who once had a career rapping and, and then has stepped us away from it and you know, we were talking about filmmakers who retire and come back. Well, one thing that popped in my mind while watching this film was someone like Jay-Z, who had after the Black Album was like, I'm done, I'm retiring. And that lasted maybe like a year, a year and a half. And then he came now back. Now retirement and, jokes are going to be a running thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a running theme for, for this episode. But I look at what he's doing now with like his latest album. He's now at that point where he's talking a little more honestly. Like you don't have the same big pimping, can I get a what type of Jay-Z? Now you've got the, you need to diversify your funds, you know, you've got to not treat family like they're garbage, treat your woman right. And like, you know, just this whole other, whether you want to call it old man Jay-Z or introspective Jay-Z, but it's fascinating because I think with, especially with rap music, a lot of artists have an expiry date in terms of age, just like in sports. So it's kind of interesting to see someone whose life has kind of moved past it and then he needs to go back to it to get that expression out. No, that's a great point. And Especially when it comes to the texture that rap can provide and, and the breadth of information you can bring in. It reminds me a lot of like genre discussions that we have with film, like why horror films especially, there have been so many pieces on uh, why Get Out keeps getting placed as an exception to horror instead of an example of it. That same thing happens with rap where it almost feels like because it's seen by so many as a lesser form form of music it has to be these things it has to hit these kind of emotional beats or highs otherwise it's something else and there's a lot of room for musical nuance talk there i know one guy thought that like uh, kendrick lamar's to pimp a butterfly was more like a history of p-funk reinterpreted with poetry instead of a straight hip-hop album and i can see that but it still kind of ekes into this idea that rap by itself is not enough 
that it has to be translated into something else. And that's why I love when we get to the end of this and we get to see an example of hip hop where it is just laying it all out. It reminds me of how when we with those expectations are broken, you know, in cinema with genre or with rap and making things so naked, it can really throw people off in a good way. And I think the, the quiet build wondering into what kind of performer he was and how he's taking his inspiration from the senses that he's letting himself feel because he may not be able to feel them much longer that makes all of this just land home so nicely. Well, I think that's a good point to move into your short this week, which is <laughs> we're going to call it a short. The Hell music yeah. video, the music video is definitely a form of storytelling that often doesn't get a lot of praise. And this is actually a classic pick, in, in my opinion, even though I think it's what, 2007, 2006, this, this particular song oh, came earlier out. Earlier than that, it was uh, 2002. Oh, was it that far? Man, that far. Okay, well, why don't you talk about your pick, and then we'll go into it a bit further. Yeah, we'll stop being uh, shy or coy about it, because my pick is neither shy nor coy. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the music video for Missy Elliott's Work It. And it was directed by Dave Myers, who, along with Hype Williams, in the late 90s, I'd say actually it's kind of like the start of the mid-90s to late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, Hype Williams and Dave Myers kind of picked up where Spike Lee and David Fincher who also got his start in music videos, really started evolving kind of the music video form into sharp, finely drawn images that function as short stories on their own or function as just great tone pieces in accompaniment to the music. And like calling music videos an ad is really short selling it, especially when we ended up getting artists like Spike Lee, Fincher, Hype Williams, Dave Myers, and so on into the mix. They would just create these spectacular universes in and of themselves. And the reason that I wanted to focus specifically on Missy Elliott's work it, a few different reasons. One, it gives me an excuse to listen to the song, which is one of the best songs ever made. Also because there is going to be a lot of testosterone flowing around when we get to Straight Outta Compton. So I wanted to focus on a woman artist that is really important to me, and Missy Elliott is endlessly creative in her music, in her lyrics, and is constantly having this uplifting, we're all going to have fun and fuck now. Which is makes the, the the cameo appearance by Fake Prince that much funnier in this video. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The creativity in this video for Work It matches the creativity that we're actually hearing in the output of the song itself. There are so many things that feel that they could have been out of left field. If we put them in a vacuum, be like, how'd we get there? Like one of the very first images we see of Missy Elliott as essentially a hive queen coated with bees and honeycombs in the background while she's got the turntables just frozen in front of her that is so jarring that it draws you in just on the visuals alone but it also adds that sticky vibe as the words start languishing off of her tongue and the whistling of the song kicks in it does this great job of creating like this apocalyptic beehive playground dance video with 
everything melding in so nicely to the song. Overall, I was thinking about this, that we could almost direct a whole episode about these short films that come from these music videos, because I was going through Dave Myers' career, and, I mean, the dude created science fiction (laughs) universes with Power Man 5000. He had the whole floating abandoned ship where love happens that uh, we now see in the shape of water in a video for filters uh, take my picture he's he's really cheeky there's this great part in the she wants to move video for nerd where everyone's just standing around in this sparse star space looking awkward but work it specifically i want to focus on because missy elliott is awesome the video itself bombards you with this own internal logic of this sticky sweet fun experience and it's going to be dude heavy from here on out so i wanted to focus on this while we could you know what that's not a bad reason whatsoever it's funny because when you selected this one i was like it's interesting you know of all the missy elliott videos you know why did he pick this one as much as i i love this song and then i was watching it and i was like oh man i forgot how good this was and i started going through her whole canon it's like you know it'd be pretty tough to pick one missy <laughs> elliott video to do because uh, I, I i honestly think that as a rap artist i don't think she gets enough credit i was looking up on just to see like where people consider her and, and wire had an article where i think it was up to like 2005 or so but anyway they were talking about the 25 best female mcs and missy elliott was ranked at number four they had lauren hill as number one then they had little kim and then they had mc light i was like hmm, okay lauren hill yes missy elliott's way better than little kim and mc light personally but that's my own opinion but i don't even think we need to like segregate anyway like i think when you're talking about artists and, and hip-hop artists in general for me missy's in the in the top 10 and i know a lot of people will scoff and be like that's unheard of but when when you talk about lyricists and uh, wordplay we tend to always think of male artists the kendricks the m&ms the jay-z's uh, what have you biggie tupac like you know they they always list a whole bunch of men but they always exclude the women and missy is talented in terms of like her her style and her delivery but also her videos i think are consistently stunning she's one of the few artists that is willing to take risk and we don't see that too often in hip-hop videos you know there's usually maybe the one avant-garde video that you might get out of a particular artist but a lot of them are generic in terms of how they present themselves right you know i will i'll give Migos credit for getting all fancied up and eating a bucket of KFC at a restaurant for their bad and bougie video and like you know moments like that but (laughs) but when you start to see some of the other ones that they they come out with you're like all right this is kind of what I expect from you guys whereas Missy from back when she was doing like super duper fly and, and whatnot was just always thinking ahead she was always taking the visual art form to another level and I honestly don't think she gets a lot of credit for that. This one in particular, it's fascinating because at first I thought maybe the one reason you picked it is because one of the dancers grows up to be in one of your favorite franchises, the Step Up series. Um, <laughs> the main, the, the, the main girl with the pigtails. Yes. The, okay. She grows up to be Camille in the Step franchise. I was like, oh, well, maybe that's why he picked it. But then I started looking at just like the visual aesthetics of the film and everything from like when Missy's sliding into the frame and when she's 
talking to the guy at one part on the car and she's kind of doing the side lean and then oh, there's that great there's that great visual gag where she makes reference to Halle Berry yes. and you can see that the guy's getting drunk and he holds up the glass and through the glass she kind of vaguely looks like she might be Halle Berry but not quite and like it's a playful fun video but then it also includes a lot of the elements of hip hop you got the DJ you got the B-boys and the B-girls got the graffiti on the t-shirt so it pays homage to like where hip hop is coming from and also where it can go through the visual so yeah it's a great video it's really interesting when we kind of start talking about the the standard hip-hop elements or the occasional artistic video or whatnot because all my love in the world to kendrick lamar but even his video for all right just the the black and white dancing and the floating it's you know it's it's okay it's you know it's tasteful or whatever i guess (laughs) i mean it, it just feels so normal weirdly this kind of getting around and performing and as a piece of visual art as opposed to auditory art it's just not thrilling missy elliott always thrills like you said she is always thinking of ways to reinvent herself visually and musically that's why the halle berry thing is so damn funny because it's pushing back against this skinny pretty girl image as well with missy elliott continually owning herself as she gets this guy drunk it's great it's so empowering on so many levels to watch this kind of ownership of herself throwing it all out there in this endless well of creativity I'm going to give one last nod to the fake prince because I love how he just dangles his tongue over her (laughs) as she's (laughs) laid out like a buffet. But, you know, when we talk about weird videos or mega viral videos like the Gangnam Style video, it's entertaining, but Missy Elliott was already here. I'm glad that you brought up the step up dancing thing because... One of the great aspects about all the women is in this video especially is how proud they are of their bodies and their ownership. Like, it's infectious seeing them all own themselves like that. And there's a difference between the kind of athleticism and, yeah, you know, you've got the close-up booty shots and stuff. But you also get to see, like, the toned muscles. It's a lot of effort to dance like that. And then when the guys come on, sure, that you know, you've got some of the b-boy moves. But I also love that it stops for a moment when Missy is going going through her international cabal of men lovers that she would like to get a taste of. And it's like a buffet of men. It's great. It almost could have been something out of Magic Mike XXL with just the lights dangling lovingly on their abs as some of them undress, some of them stay dressed, and so on. It's nice to see that gaze flipped around a bit so that it's still incorporating some of the dancing and the ogling that we do see in a lot of hip-hop videos, but... feels like this mutual celebration and these men asked to kind of model themselves for once instead of sitting there waiting for some girl to come by and dance or whatnot that all has its place there can be a lot of fun videos for that i like (laughs) this isn't a great example of it but Dave Myers also was responsible for helping forge Kid Rock's visual style which not a win Uh, As far as I'm concerned, where my tastes are concerned, (laughs) 
But it shows that he visually is able to operate in a few different registers and incorporate something that is still empowering. You know, it's not my kind of thing, but Kid Rock's hip-hop hillbilly empowerment thing. It shows how versatile he is as a visual artist. And here, when we're going from... (laughs) I love the Missy Lean. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. But then also you have that great image of the row of women getting their manicure pedicure hair did there are these just giant black avros in the background of the women that are doing the hair and the women in perfect lockstep enjoying themselves like just feeling like queens on these thrones in front almost every element of what we commonly probably reductively referred to as like a hip-hop visual style is there but it's just pushed to cartoonish extremes while still maintaining just like this grounded sense of empowerment and i freaking love it I'm glad that you brought up the hairdressing scene. You've got all the women in the chair who have their hair um, straightened. And then, as you mentioned, all of the hairdressers, they all have these huge afros. But they're all rocking out equally, right? Like, you don't get the sense that one's better than the other. Because, like, one of the downsides to hip-hop, especially the male-dominated side of hip-hop, is that the video models, video girls, however you want to refer them, backup dancers, depending on the type of video and the terminology you want to use there's always a, like a particular type and this film is like no no we're going to show all facets of women and we're going to show that even if a woman has an afro she's still going to rock it she's still going to look good she's still going to kick it just as well as a woman with straight hair like this video doesn't fall to the conventional beauty standards you know and even I guess like there's what maybe even the one scene where they're at the strip club and Missy's on stage flashing the money because she's like, no, no, these women aren't dancing for you men. We women are the ones who got the money. We're going to empower the women. But also you get the sense that if there's going to be any type of pimping, it's the woman who's going to do it. She's going to control things, which is something that you rarely see in hip hop videos. Right. There's always like the strip club scene where the dudes are just throwing the cash and the champagne, what have you. And I really like how in this video and in a lot of her videos, she goes for it and ensures that the women are empowered and not objectified. And just for me, one last image that I do wish I could just play on repeat some days when she's given her Kunta Kinte line and it cuts to the black and white historical photo. Oh, yes. The slave slaps the powdered wig guy and it literally slaps the white off of him. Yeah, the white shatters and you see a black man getting in that power and, you know, almost shocked that this has happened. Freaking love it. So, <laughs> listeners, we obviously have a bit that we can say about music videos. So, hey, if you want us to do a series or single episode of Music Video Chat, I'm up for that. How about you, Courtney? There's plenty to choose from. As I said, I was tempted for my short pick to do a music video, and especially when we have artists now, like with Kendrick has been doing, but also you look at Jay-Z, and I guess the the trend for most artists, I won't just say Jay-Z now, but when we were younger, it was an artist would put out one video, maybe two, if their album was hot. But now it seems like the thing for this new generation is you release a whole slew of videos like one video for each and every song and jay-z's done it really well fergie eh, you know (laughs) but as i said jay-z's done it really well and like told actual interesting narratives and stories and obviously beyonce with lemonade and like it just the pendulum is swinging back to where people are starting to once again respect the music video medium missy continuing to work even with her problems has a big effect on that and recently Kanye's short 
film series for my beautiful dark twisted fantasy oh yeah yeah amazing and we already talked about the tv on the radio one for nine types of light so yeah listeners if you want to get some good tunes in your head and have us talk about music videos just let us know what you'd like to hear us chat about that said we're going to move from the missy elliott waters to a little further back in time straight out of compton that's our feature film we're going to talk about that after a break Welcome back, everyone, and we are going to be talking about our feature film of the day, 2015's Straight Outta Compton, directed by F. Gary Gray. It's a biopic depicting the lives of N.W.A.'s members. Uh, we're talking Ice Cube, Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, the formation of their group in the late 80s starting to hit it big in the early 90s and the trials and tribulations that come from being the public face of a section of America that most people would rather have forgotten. I do think it's an important film, even if my feelings have dulled on it over time. So, Courtney, you wanted to close out our hip-hop month with this. Why so? I was trying to think of a film for this show that would fit nicely and, and be more along the lines of Ghost Dog, where you have a film that takes hip-hop elements and fuses nicely with a particular genre or style. I kept coming up a little short on ideas. Some of the films I was thinking of and coming across didn't quite fit in. As, as influential as hip-hop is nowadays, I find a lot of films still use it, if we can go back to the bling ring for a moment, to show how bad the suburban white kid is, you know, or for a drug montage in a um, James Franco, Seth Rogen film. As I was thinking about the films that are truly about hip-hop that I liked, and uh, one of which is a film that hasn't been released yet, a film called Bodied by, I think it's Joseph Kahn. I saw it at TIFF last year, which is all about the battle rap industry and it's produced by Eminem so it's kind of got a eight mile feel where you have this young white college kid who dives into the battle rap scene and becomes very successful but that film kind of swings for the fences in terms of its topics like it talks about liberal guilt appropriation the use of the n-word like just Everything that you can think of, they throw in that one film. And it's quite funny, dark, creative. But again, it ha hasn't been released yet. I think Yahoo bought the – or not, not Yahoo, um, YouTube, I think, bought the rights to it. So it's going to do like a half theatrical, half streaming release. But my mind kind of kept coming back through all this to Straight Out of Compton. And Straight Out of Compton is a film that I appreciate – more every time I see it. Like, I liked it the first time. And it was a film that, when I first heard that they're doing an NWA film, I was like, do we really need an NWA film? And then I saw it, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of glad we have this film. It's problematic. There's some things about it that I'm not sure they handled the best way, and there's some big things that they omitted, which I think if you're going to do a film like this, you need to. But in terms of biopics, this one was actually one of the more energizing biopics that I've seen in, in recent years. And it does better than 8 Mile in terms of telling the story in a way that's thrilling. As, as much as I enjoy 8 Mile, I think I enjoy it more for the battle rap scenes than I do some of the narrative structure. And it's interesting that you know 8 Mile was given like a $41 million budget, and I think it, it raked in 
116 domestically, whereas this film was only given a 28 million budget and it made 161 domestically. So I don't know if we're going to see more hip hop films, um, not necessarily biopics, but just more hip hop and few films like Hustle and Flow, for, for example. I would love that, but I haven't seen the Tupac All Eyes on Me, but from what I heard, it wasn't that great. And I wasn't a big fan of the Notorious B.I.G. biopic. So I'm looking for some more quality hip hop films to come out. But I don't know if there's something about this film that I find energetic. The performances, I think, are fantastic. And it's funny watching this film now because it's almost like you're seeing the future of Hollywood, at least the future of, of black Hollywood in, in this film. Because you have O'Shea Jackson, who's now in like the new film Den of Thieves. Jason Mitchell who was in Mudbound this year. There's a brief moment with Lakeith Stanfield, who was in Get Out. There's a lot of people in this film. Even one of the kids on the bus in the earlier scene ends up being one of the kids from one of the main guys from Moonlight. So this film has just got like a wealth of talent. And that's even before you get to Paul Giamatti. I want to hear your opinions on it before I dive into it a little further. But <laughs> that was that was my thought process for, for picking this film. There's something that you said that I really want to hammer home, uh, especially when it comes to these hip-hop films. We don't have like any of them. And when you got 8 Mile, I like 8 Mile, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. And if I were to go back and rewatch it now, I'd have a really hard time getting over with everything that I know now, because I'm a much different person than I was when that came out. Just the whole woe is me, white boy aspect of it. I know Eminem didn't exactly have an easy life, as he has gone on record about I'd say to the point of boredom at this juncture of his career, when we're talking about like the, the actual influences and such, it feels like a movie like Straight Outta Compton should have been done decades ago in the late 80s or in the early 90s. I know that Hype Williams got money to make Belly, which looks weird as hell. I haven't seen it personally, but I, I have to after seeing some stills yeah. from it. But, but, visually is a really nice looking film belly tries too hard i think it, it's very traditional in some of its gangster elements but in what it tries to do with the story that it's telling it doesn't quite work for me but i i do think as with all hype williams things visually it's great to look at well then i'll uh, be able to chime in sooner rather than later as it's pretty top of my list but when you're talking especially about the budget differences between 8 Mile and Straight Outta Compton, there is a long history, and you might almost say it is the history, of black art in America where black artists are given less money under tighter restrictions and they're able to do way more creatively than their white counterparts could ever dream of. I don't think F. Gary Gray is a great director. He's made some really fun movies. I love Set It Off. Italian Job's fun. Wasn't really a fan of of the Furious, but that's just a juggernaut out of its own right right now. This seemed like a nice way of paying it forward from when F. Gary Gray used to direct the music videos for Ice Cube and so on back in the early 90s. So it's kind of come in full circle. There's a lot of things that Straight Outta Compton does that I don't like. It is very by the numbers in some aspects as far as its biopic format's concerned. Like when Easy e starts getting a cough out of nowhere, it does fit his real history, but there wasn't a way of communicating that in a way that wasn't stereotypical. It's your standard, seemingly healthy person has a cough, oh god, they're gonna die. And it made some scenes almost 
unintentionally funny. One of the big things about what we'll call like a hip-hop flavored movie instead of actually about hip-hop, You Got Served was Lil Saint who's in there for like one scene and then dies off screen. Here you've got a scene where Dre's brother is just in the one scene at the very beginning when Dre's listening to music and then he dies off screen And then you've got this scene of Dre sitting around with everybody, crying, and is like, we're never going to give up on each other. We're always going to be brothers. Watching it on rewatch, it was so funny because it was so so over the top. But it also fits again into that story cliche of the loved one who dies off screen after being present for maybe a second. That said... Straight Outta Compton captures the majesty and thrill of rap in those times. And it's not that it's changed. You know, there's there's still lots of thrilling, challenging rap coming out. But it's so specifically of its moment. And that's why I'm really happy that F. Gary Gray was able to secure any funding for this, you know, let alone not being able to match the power of having like an M&M draw. Because like you said, this is kind of like a ground floor to up building exercise for making sure that black voices and artists are heard. So yeah, there are elements that fit that standard biopic formula so much that they annoy me. But then it just sparks alive when you've got Eazy-E in the booth, Dre making his beats, Ice Cube coming on stage for the first time. And for me, the centerpiece is that concert in Detroit that hits everything that rap meant specifically from N.W.A. at that point. And if the police would have just left well enough alone, it would have been fine. But no, they had to wave their guns around. So there's a lot of this that is messy and a lot of it that's clumsy and kind of stupid, but it hits it where it really matters in terms of the music, in terms of the kind of social impact that it was having at the time, how it was a reflection of the people that most of America would rather kept in the closet. That's my view. It did not hold up as well on second viewing, but at the same time, I'm even more appreciative of its importance that it exists and that it's still pretty good on top of that. I thought it got better on second viewing. I hear you about the by the numbers aspect of it, especially for biopics. But I think in many ways it needed to be that because we're constantly seeing, and I alluded to with The Darkest Hour, Hollywood, and especially when it comes to awards and Academy, always seems to praise The Darkest Hour, um, Imitation Game, Theory of Everything. You know, a lot of these films that follow the traditional structure, even if you go all the way back to King's Speech and, and further, that... You kind of know exactly where the film's going to go. The ups and downs, the pitfalls. You look at something like Ray or uh, was it Walk Walk the Line? Yeah, Walk the Line. I always have to hesitate because I always want to say Walk Hard, which is the, uh, <laughs> that's the spoof. That's a Cox story. <laughs> which I would argue is a better film, but that's another episode. So all these uh, award-worthy biopics, which are for the most part are either fine or terrible. There's a few that kind of excel and are really powerful. But I feel like this was F. Gary Gray doing like what Spike Lee did with The Inside Man, showing that, hey, yes, I can make all these other films, but I can also do a serious biopic. 
I can do it just as well as anyone else. And again, oh, you gave me only $20 million? Fine, I'll show you what I can do with it. And I would argue that why the by the numbers kind of feel so forced is because the film really needed to be 30 minutes longer. I know it feels long currently at like two and a half, but because they try to cram in so much and they spend what I would call almost a, a full decade, it needed another 30 minutes to allow the film to breathe some more. So you can get a few more moments with Dr. Dre's brother. They could have added a little more in that talked about Dr. Dre's problematic history of women. The fact that his abusive tendency, at least around that time and a bit after, was completely omitted. And I understand that he's one of the producers and, you know, the living members are going to shape the stories. But I found that really problematic because you could still incorporate that in a way and still get the overall message through. So I think by having it only two and a half hours and trying to throw in so much, I, I still think that Gray did a wonderful job with it. And I would say that, especially last year, there's been a lot of films that have come out talking about the 92 riots and everything that was going on in Los Angeles in the 90s. And I think this film touches on it so well in terms of how these guys grew up being harassed by the police. Because if you really think about it, the only one who was doing criminal things prior to joining the group was Easy. Even in that great thrilling opening, you see how close he came to, to losing his life through the drug trade. And everyone else was just into music and writing rhymes, and they were still getting harassed by the police and what have you. It goes throughout the, the course of this film, even as you hit like the Rodney King beatings and whatnot, and as you said, that great moment in Detroit. And I think with all things rap music, had the police and mainstream white America not freaked out about the oh no the young black men are trying to kill us via this rap music when it was really like no they're just expressing what they're experiencing you know they kind of escalated everything and to show how that mindset still hasn't changed and i toyed with writing a piece on this when straight out of compton was released in theaters there was plenty of articles and news stories about theater chains beefing up security having extra law enforcement at certain theaters in la and around parts of america because the nwa movie and they were all worried about gang banging happening within the theaters and shootouts none of that happened the film opened up huge i I believe it was number one made lots of money there was no problems fast forward to something like three billboards and i don't know if you've seen three billboards outside ebbing missouri not yet but there is a scene which you see in the trailers where francis mcdormand has a molotov cocktail and she throws it at a police station they show her throwing it. They don't show where it hits, but they show her throwing it within the commercials. I see it as I'm sitting at home on television. No problems. No no question. No one talks about it. And I go, wasn't that interesting? Um, Straight Out of Compton was, what, two, three years ago now? And yeah. even up to three years ago, the idea of having a film about these rap artists, people were like, well, it's black music. It's gangster music. Oh, no, they're going to start shooting. Like They didn't have the respect to think that people of color or people who like hip-hop could gather at a theater and just watch something without any incident right so everything that you're seeing in this film is still being played out years later and as we see with like fox going after kendrick lamar and there's still that narrative being sold that the gangster music or as they call it now thug music is corrupting our young people and what have you and i would say hip-hop is damaging in certain aspects but i don't think it is damaging in the way that people are trying to 
perceive it. I think if anything, what's damaging about hip hop now is that it's because because it's become so mainstream. Many kids in Middle America are growing up and they're hearing the N word being thrown around, but not really understanding the history or the context. Now I walk around and I see 12 year olds, 15 year olds from various backgrounds talking to each other and using certain slang, and then I hear them using the N word with disregard. Like in their minds, they're just thinking that oh, it's just a cool way to to talk to friends without really thinking of the overall context and historical thing and why these guys use the name NWA and the significance of that. So this film is relevant even now, even though it was talking about something that happened in the past. Well, I really like the point that you brought up about how the Oscars and other award shows love to shower praise on not even accurate depictions sometimes. It's just something about overcoming diversity, and that's part of the reason that the theory of everything is such a running joke with us, because it's like the ultimate stereotype of that kind of white exceptionalism overcoming the odds, even though he's still coming from a privileged background, just everything that... We, I wish I could condition people to hate, but at the same time, maybe one of these will be good again someday. I don't know. When we start talking about Straight Outta Compton, one of the reasons I think it, it really didn't get any kind of award show buzz and inspires a lot of passion in you, I can hear it, is the fact that it brought some of that energy and mystique and danger back to rap. Kind of a side story, I was... Uh, talking to my mom about the stuff that we were going to be writing about and talking about and so on. And my dad used to be a police officer. Uh, my uncle is actually just got a promotion here in Atlanta. I think he's a captain now. When I told her that we were going to be doing Ghost Dog and then uh, Straight Outta Compton, she just started singing Fuck the Police. But not that far. She, she just went with the, Dre, I've got something to say. The more that I thought about it, the more I was like, it's just such a trinket in her hands. And I, I love my mom to death, <laughs> but there was no real understanding there. And especially from uh, my relatively conservative, sometimes not parents, using just that little bit as a fun toy to throw out for amusement. It, it just showed how little she understood that and how a lot of people, young and old alike, continue to misunderstand that. So F. Gary Gray here, I mean, we got that scene in Detroit, but then we've also got hints of Dre's temper. I, I completely agree with you that it is kind of cowardly that they sidestep it almost entirely. Um, but Dre just knocking people out cold becomes not a running joke. It is a threat that is constantly looming in the background. And the same thing with Suge Knight's complicated legacy, I'll say. Um, I think that F. Gary Gray does a much better job depicting Suge uh, because it's it's fair. Easy e and the gang, they were getting screwed by Jerry. Side note also on Jerry, I find it extremely funny that he was upset with Straight Outta Compton's depiction of him by saying it wasn't accurate, but also saying that they pulled bits from his autobiography. So it's like, which is it, dude? <laughs> either, it's, <laughs> either it's not accurate, or you're lying in your autobiography, or what is going on? But when it comes to Suge Knight, 
I love that F. Gray Gray and so on, they kind of depict him as a guy who's opportunistic in the sense that he wants to see his people succeed. And he doesn't become the looming supervillain that his reputation seems to label him as. <laughs> the thing is, is that like Suge Knight is one of those figures that even now I feel hesitant saying much of anything because he just he casts such a shadow. But F. Gary Gray doesn't see it as, oh, he was just some gangster supervillain who was able to take in everything. No, he saw his friends and his business partners getting screwed and he was doing whatever it took in order to make sure that they were in turn getting taken care of and the thing is is that that's a point that I could easily see people saying it's going against it that maybe he should have been presented as an uber villain but that's also neglecting the economic conditions and the social part that birthed this form of rap, which F. Gary Gray does get to extremely well, and Suge Knight just happens to be a historically useful representative of. Even now, I want you, I'm going to choose my words very carefully, just because of the aura of Suge Knight, and you say that they don't present him as a supervillain. Maybe it's just because of the knowledge that we have but the minute he comes on the screen i was like oh no you know like he, <laughs> it was just a sense of dread and it's true like he the portrayal of him i found it a little more menacing than you did because the fact that he came out as the you're my friends just make sure these guys are handling you right he always keeps kind of popping up and he's like oh wait wait you should read you don't have these things well here i have some people that can help you with the contract and whatnot. And you could see he's slowly foundation. So Jerry's bad because Jerry is swindling them and he's buddying up to easy who knows he can take advantage of the most. And as long as he deals with easy, the rest will kind of fall in line where Shug is one of those people that will shake your hand one moment and then punch you with his free hand and then ask you to get back up and shake his hand again. The whole aura of him. And maybe because I was going in with a lot of, knowledge about him that i saw him as that uber supervillain but maybe not in the cartoonish sense that sometimes the media portrays it i think i found like this portrayal to be very sinister whereas jerry you knew jerry was a swindler even though again jerry tries to be the nice guy but you get early on that something's not right with jerry whereas suge dre realizes way too late that he's in deep and you know even after this film ends you know that Suge still has his hands in Snoop, who you see now coming up, and a, and a bunch of those West Coast guys. So I don't know. I thought the portrayal was menacing, and you know, all credit to Marcus Taylor for oh, for doing a great yeah. job. The performances in this film are fantastic. Like Jason Mitchell as Easy E, I don't think he gets a lot of credit for just how good he is in this film. And I don't know if you've seen Mudbound. I would say anyone who's listening, if you haven't seen Mudbound. Go on Netflix and watch it and then remind yourself that this is the guy that played Easy. He's always like a chameleon. You know, he's so good in this film. And then you completely see him in a different role. And again, he's magnetizing in that role as well. And Easy E, you think, all right, they're just going to have some dude with a Jerry Crow, what have you. But you really get lost in the characters. And I think with all of them, o O'Shea, you know, he encompasses his father. Corey Hawkins, I thought, did a, a good job as Dr. Dre. Like when you first see them, you think, all right, they're just going to be whatever caricatures. But then, the way that the script evolves them like they all become real 
people to the point when Ice Cube is doing his diss track and he's cutting up MC Ren and you see those little facial moments and everyone's laughing and as the audience we're kind of laughing too but at the same time you know Ren is feeling like deeply wounded by these words. Overall this is extremely well acted and you know it's kind of funny because we, we talk about which films end up becoming you know proper Oscar bait and which are ignored for whatever reason. When you were rightly praising Marcus's performance uh, as Suge, it reminded me of that small part that William Hurt has in A History of Violence, where it's good, but he's also hamming it up just a wee bit. That got him a ton of attention. He ended up getting, I think it was a Best Supporting Oscar nod for what amounted to like five, six minutes of screen time, whereas Marcus as Suge, he, he's just this lingering presence throughout it. I think I'm a little more shifting in your direction now but it is mostly because of how well Marcus embodies that but like if we're going to give this kind of award consideration and respect to William Hurt and the Hurts aren't exactly hurting for exposure couldn't let that one go up it brings up the question why nothing from Straight Outta Compton did and it, it goes right back to what I was saying about how rap in a lot of people's minds has become either this homogenized safe space where you can say things without really understanding them or it's the devil and everyone should stay away, far, far away. When we start talking about the performances in this and so on, they're all excellent. I'm not even think that this got any kind of best ensemble cast nods, though uh, in terms of me fessing up to my own blind spots, there's a lot of American Black Award centers that I don't pay attention to. That's going to be a blind spot. That's entirely on me. It seems like this sort of film cannot break the public consciousness and... Well, break the public consciousness in a way that gets it respect. Like, we kind of solved this recently, and we talked about it last time as well, with how Proud Mary was basically buried at the beginning of the year with Taraji P. Henson doing all of the promotional work basically by herself. So the fact that this exists, and it, it's still as good as it is, with so many excellent performances layered in, it's its own kind of fuck you to the Academy establishment and so on, because we've made one Oscar winner a perennial joke, whereas this one is the film that we can go and say, you know, if it really was about merit, if these award shows were actually about the best, and we didn't have this web of stupid racist socializing that goes on with awards... Then, Marcus might have gotten an award for this. Who knows? But that opportunity needs to be there. And I think part of what makes this film so thrilling is everyone creating their own opportunities instead of just waiting for someone to come along and say, okay, here's your bone, go fetch. I'm fine if people say, all right, State of Compton doesn't deserve Academy Awards, what have you, and argue your point either way. The pacing is a little rough because they try to cram so much in. But the fact that Marcus doesn't get, or and again, Jason Mitchell for easy, not a supporting astronaut, but yet the film gets a Best Original Screenplay nomination, you could put wait a minute you know you clearly you found that there was some interesting stuff in this film but nothing else i'm like okay that's fine but when you start to look at how that was trending and i guess was that the first year of the oscar so white campaign and yeah. then you saw the second year and you went 
Okay, and then, of course, argument that I hear often, and I hear it also in the political field up here now, especially with certain um, politicians getting caught in the whole Me Too uprising, that the minute they go, does it really warrant it? Does it really merit it? And it's like, well, okay, let's go through and see the various biopics that get nominated each year. It's like, all right, it should have at least been a little more like i mean if you got if you give it the writing and the the dialogue is the one thing that we haven't really dived that much into we've been talking about the performances the look the pacing you know everything else and that's where you get okay it's worthy enough to give a word for that but i know this is going to be the perennial uh whipping thumb where people are like ah well it, it didn't deserve and there was no other good nominations but i think was it the same year where you had like beast of no nation and yep. a bunch of other ones yep. where you're like okay that's fine but no, and it doesn't necessarily have to be films with predominantly black cast. It could have been films with Asian American cast, Latino, whatever. But it's just that the narrow sighted view. And now we fast forward to this year's nominations and we start to see a little more diversity in terms of the type of films that are starting to get noticed and whatnot. You're like, OK, you're starting to see a change and that's good. But why did it take two years of bad press before people went mm, okay let's let's really look at how we're we're doing things man we could spin this off and do a, a huge other conversation about the culture of award shows and and why they're so entrenched in a very specific predominantly straight white male ideology and nominating structure but let's return to one other thing how this was nominated for a best original screenplay at the academy awards that completely slipped my mind because that's one of the aspects of this that aids some of its unintentional comedy some of its intentional and this is where we start getting into a lot of double-edged swords because there are almost no healthy women in this or if they are there they're the stereotypical doting mom or worried girlfriend wife what have you sometimes it works to a comedic effect like there's one sequence where everyone is partying and some dude shows up with a gun wondering where his girl felicia is it's so funny that everyone is having this hedonistic love in and there are so many girls there that no one can figure out who felicia is but then you've got stuff like the doting wife or the worried mom that was parodied in films as old and it had its recent anniversary as don't be a menace to south central while drinking your juice in the hood still funny to this day i still love that flick but some of the dialogue in straight out of comp especially when the the screenplay for friday's being being written and he's sitting there laughing at his own words and it's like dude you have every right to have an ego but in terms of putting that in front of the screen someone laughing at their own words while they're writing is itself lazy writing so there are moments that work but it's when we start hitting back into those cliched biopic moments and stock characters that it's weird that writing was the thing that ended up catching on over everything else the lack of women in this film in terms of substantial roles as, as you just pointed out that really struck me as well and even that felicia 
moment is funny, but how it ends with them yeah, yeah, basically kicking her out while she's half naked and it's like, all right, you brought this trouble on yourself. Up to that point, it was like, oh, how kind of funny. It's like, oh, wait a minute, guys. This is the way how they use women in this film is very problematic in the sense that they're either the comic relief or, as you said, they're kind of there to say you need to do better. You got to watch out. Or I looked at the, the books and Jerry's ripping you off or, hey, you promised my husband this money. Where is it? And that's about it. The actress that played Ice Cube's wife, I think it was Kim. I saw her recently in a film, a dark comedy called Tragedy Girls, which is quite funny and if you get a chance to see it definitely seek it out seeing her in that and a few other things like she's a really talented actress and it's like oh you could just give her some more lines give her something more to do that was one of the things that bothered me as you said earlier it's very much a testosterone type of film and i'm hoping that if this wave of hip-hop films continue we not only start to see better roles for women, because even in 8 Mile, the women are secondary. And even in Bodied, as much as I enjoy that one, and you do have a really strong, great female battle rap artist, there's still the main character's girlfriend, who's kind of like the annoying, liberal, feminist grad student kind of character, right? And like this trope keeps on going, and I'm hoping at some point we break that. And I don't know if it's we need a film to start highlighting some of the female influences in, in rap, whether the life story of Queen Latifah or an artist many people knew of that made it somewhat big in the indie scene. Like, I think we need to start getting more females who are key figures in the rap industry and the rap history to start getting their stories being told. And I think that might help to start changing the narrative because even in something like this film I really enjoyed, I still had to kind of cringe when the female characters you know, were just being tossed away. It's a weird mix. There was a series, I think, of tweets that Ava DuVernay put out shortly after Straight Outta Compton was released, and she was talking about how it was exactly like this. So it's kind of with the, the problems more with the presentation. I think that you hit it exactly when you're talking about how there was that last lingering shot of Felicia naked and alone in the hallway that I start having like really complicated discussions in my head of, okay, so the treatment of these women is accurate, according to, you know, one of the women who were there who actually did see this. And I don't doubt that. So the question then becomes, how do we make this so that it's either more empowering or we get to see like the separate side of it? And again, I also think you're completely right here in that we need to see more voices actually in front of the camera from women MCs, from the black women who were there, instead of just, you know, locked into tweets. Because there's something else going back to our music video discussion. It seems like a lot of women rappers they are degraded by the population more so. They're turned into toys or they're kind of relegated to the dustbins. Like, I think Lil' Kim had it spot on when she packaged herself as a Barbie. That's what happens with a lot of these women rappers. And, and Queen Latifah, we have sung her praises <laughs> a lot on this show. But even she has kind of been pushed into this comfortable, safe zone. Uh, even in Girls Trip which I loved, she played the straight person to 
a lot of the shenanigans from the other girls. It's hard to say exactly like what this film could have done to fix it. And it's even harder for me to take too much of an issue with it since we've got those firsthand accounts that it was accurate. Where I think it does stumble is when we talk about the abuse, how like Dre's abuse was just hinted at instead of actually shown or how that moment with felicia it's played for comic effect but the rest of the time there were a lot of women who were not being treated with that kind of literal hands-off approach they might not have been humiliated like that but they're definitely hurt like that in terms of the representation it seems to be accurate but it didn't need to sidestep the issues with the men with the women that it did yeah, but I would say in terms of the Felicia moment, the way to cure the Felicia scene is cut after they turn back and they're walking to their back to the hotel room and laughing. Yeah, they didn't right? need the humiliation in there. Because you don't really need the humiliation because you've got tons of scenes where there's like Deep Wild. These guys were teenagers. All these women want to be around them. They were famous. There's like naked women at various different party scenes. So you didn't really need that moment. You already saw that, okay, they were having these wild parties. It was girls everywhere. They don't even know which girls they were sleeping with. You've already hit that in the hobby. You, like, you didn't need that little extra jab. Like, yes, there were going to be some women who caused problems for them with like jealous boyfriends and what have you. But the, the way to cure that Felicia scene is just to cut it a little sooner, right? And then still have that. Like, I understand that, yes, that's what happened at the time, but... Well, place to your we, point where you're saying that the, the humiliation and stuff, it's its hit for comedic effect. So when you've got the humiliation in there for comedic effect, the door slamming at the end is basically the punchline, but it's sidestepping all the other issues. It shows that, that like they're not really interested in that portion being taken seriously. It's just, can we get a joke out of this? You see that also with Dre when he's trying to pick up that one girl and, and she's uncomfortable with the party, and that's also kind of played for a, a comedic beat, because... <laughs> it is very clearly wild there, and her discomfort is kind of given this slight sarcastic edge, even though she is clearly uncomfortable. You can still do the comedic beat. Like for me, that scene in the hallway, the comedic beat is when they come out guns blazing, and the guys are like, "Oh, we've made a terrible mistake. Let's get out of here." Right? That's for me. That's where the punchline hits these guys came they showed a gun they thought they were really tough well these guys had massive weapons that were just hanging out which is another question like how did these guys move around a hotel and no one really cared that they had all these weapons but that's another another story for a different day but oh, i just I think can, i can give you a quick one there they just run out the floor yeah that's probably a good explanation um <laughs> but when you but when i think about that era and the type of story that they're telling they pick and choose in terms of what needs to be they're like a lot of stuff was going on at that time what they choose to show you is like well this is what really happened but there's a lot of stuff that really happened that they also kind of leave out so i don't necessarily buy that argument and to get back to the last point i'll make about you're talking about the female rap artist and this is why i think we need a few more films about women coming up in the industry because yeah you're right that there's there is a lot of them that you know little kim used the barbie doll aesthetic to her advantage and we and we see Nicki minaj do that kind of same thing but take it to a, a slightly different level where you know she's got the arc of well multiple personality type ones like a black barbie one's a little more psychotic what have you but she again played up a lot of sex but you also have some of those artists 
Queen Latifah, when she first came out, she was very much on a Mother Africa kind of tip, or she had like, you know, the Daichikis and whatnot. She took a lot of abuse for that as well, right? And Missy Elliott took a lot of oh, abuse yeah. for, for her weight, even though what she was doing was ahead of the game in every every aspect, right? And so it's irrelevant. I, she looked freaking great. Exactly. That's why I think we need more films to kind of tell their type of stories. They paved the way for the, the next generation. And like yeah. you, you have a, a slew of great young female artists, some of which that have kind of been stuck in the independent realm for years where they're doing their stuff for like i guess in the underground scene what have you but they've never quite been able to make it big and i saw a film called i think it was called bad rap i have to look it up but it, it was a documentary following four asian rap artists one of which was dumbfounded great west coast rapper one other one who was in there was aquafina she's now going to be in the new oceans eight film with sandra bullock and it was funny because as they're all talking and talking about Aquafina coming up, and she has a very kind of quirky style to her rap and her lyrics, right? But she was also young and attractive, and, and, and she was kind of different from the mold, right? So the film doesn't diminish her talents, but they show that her being quirky but also attractive helped her jump ahead. Some of the other people that you follow in the film who might have been a little too abstract and that were male, right? And it's just that whole, shouldn't her talent be enough to propel her, right? Like, why must you also add in the whole look and whatnot? Within this industry, looks play so much for women and not so much for men. A man can be hideous or whatever, but, oh, he's got great talent. Whereas a woman can have great talent, but that's not enough, right? And I think that's why we need more stories like that to show the hurdles that many female artists have come through. So who knows? Maybe Straight Out of Compton will help pave the way for that. Maybe someone will make a rebuttal to Straight Out of Compton and show the female perspective of hip-hop in the 90s and 2000s. I would like to see Ava DuVernay's take like with what she said, because she shared some of the same concerns, even if she was very much down with the accuracy and the vibe, especially with what she was living with at the time. Overall, I think this goes to your point that this is an important movie. In the grand scheme of things, there's almost nothing else like it. Like, we can look at the structure and find similar beats with other biopics. There are some parts of it that don't work as well as I'd like. But in terms of actually starting to get that history out there in a way that isn't framed in an 8-mile esco, this poor little white boy sort of thing, it is extremely important, and it's really well done. <laughs> yeah, it was a massive box office hit, and it's unexpected hit because they released it what late august which is pretty much the the dreads of summer it may not fall under the overlooked film but i still think it's underappreciated by many and those who think ah, it's just okay or it's nothing special it's like no what it did was special because it's something that hasn't really been touched on it may not have been perfect but it, you need a film like this to hopefully get other films to even take it further I think that's a good spot for us to wrap up for the day. So where can folks reach you if they want to hear more thoughts from you or read or whatnot? They could reach you on our Twitter account, which is at ChangingReelsAC. Um, I'm going to try and update that a little more than I have been the last few weeks. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, my social media game for uh, 2018 has been horrible. And that was one of my things that I said for 2018 resolutions was like, you know, I'm going to embrace social media a little more and promote things on social media more now yeah i've just been horribly lazy so there's our twitter account at changing reels ac or you can reach me personally on twitter at small mind 
You can reach me, obviously, at can'tstopthemovies.com. It's also where you can find links to the Patreon or in the description below. If you enjoy our production, editing, conversation, whatnot, you can also hit me up on my Twitter at can'tstopdrew. I also monitor our Gmail account, which is changing.reels.ac at gmail.com. So it has been a banging month, lots of great conversation, and more to come. So remember, folks, you can change the conversation on diversity in cinema, one reel at a time. This has been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network. This, how it... Nope. Okay. I'm going to kill my cat. <laughs> Your cat just wanted to get in on the rap conversation, that's all. Apparently, he was trying to provide a beat of some kind. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs>